Happy Sabbath, church family. Are you here to worship the Lord? You know what makes this day of worship different from all the days that we worship Jesus? And by the way, how many days are we to worship Jesus? Every single day. But what makes this day of worship different? This day is the crowning act of worship. So when it comes to worship throughout the entire week, God calls us away on this very special Sabbath day to come before him in a very special type of worship. And that's what we're going to do right now. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we just come to you just as we are. And Lord, our great argument is just our need of your grace right now. Father, we pray and ask that you would bless us with the Holy Spirit. We're living at very critical times. And God, we need to understand your will, your ways. Most of all, our heart's desire is, Jesus, that this morning we would have a revelation of your character. That we may walk away changed because we have behold the Lamb of God. Thank you so much, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. By the way, just a reminder, what is taking place next Friday? What's taking place next Friday? Our prophecy seminar, and that prophecy seminar is entitled Revelation Today, right? And this is going to be an exciting time. How many people here have been to our prophecy seminars in the last three and a half years? Raise your hand. Okay, very good. If you have not been to these prophecy seminars, I want to invite you out. It starts with a delicious dinner at 6.15, and the actual presentations start at 7.15. And so, folks, we want to invite each and every person to come on out. This is going to be an exciting time. Invite your friends, your family, your neighbors. There's going to even be like a 12-minute discussion time. Free giveaways. It's going to be an exciting time. And, folks, this this is the time that God is calling us to go look for those, those lost sheep. Amen? So if you know people around you, you know neighbors, you know the policeman, the doctor, you just give them an advertisement, you just say, here, we want you to come to this starts next Friday. Well, the name of this sermon is called At the Top of the Ladder, At the Top of the Ladder. Now, we were at the health fair, what day were we at the health fair? Sunday. Did you know we had people all the way from Mariposa showing up to this health fair? All the way from Mariposa. And that's exciting because a lot of people are interested in health. Here's just a few pictures. If you missed it, you missed something really big. There were hundreds of people there. We had boots from uh, all over. We had uh, different types of health boots. We had a, a dentist booth. We had a blood pressure booth. We had children's booth. You name it, all over from the community. In the fireside room, we had uh, different checkups that were taking place, free cholesterol screenings. A lot of people were interested in that. We did over 100 cholesterol screenings. We also had our, um, you know, uh, what do you call that thing, by the way, Barb? Is Barb here today? It checks your body fat. What's the name called? Yeah, EMI? Oh, BMI, body mass index, right? I know that's what that's all about. So we had that taking place. And by the way, that was by the Curves booth. And uh, she actually remarked, she's not an Adventist. She says, I have not seen a health fair this organized before. And the unity that was here, it was awesome. And so what a testament to to the Spirit of God. We also have our children's booth. We had a rock climbing wall as well by Camp Awona. It was just an exciting time. It was kicked off by a 5K run. How many people went to the 5K run? Oh, that was awesome. That took place at 8.45. There was this 
massive green blob that began to go throughout all of Ceres. And uh, it was just really exciting just to see the young, the old, all different ages participate in this fair. And when this took place, we had a, just a wonderful energy that started off our whole fair. And that's Ed Holm right there. <laughs> Is Ed here today? Oh, I wish he was here today. I really do. But uh, praise the Lord. Amen? It's these times that we need to proclaim the message that God has given to us. And our health, health message is an opening door to many people. You know, like I said, about 15, 20 years ago, people used to object to the health message and say things like, well, that was done away without the cross and all sorts of things. Now when you bring up the health message, it's something so attractive that people say, we want to know more about it. Because people are interested in health, amen? And this is the time for us to use this as a way to get people to know Jesus. Well, we're going to start off with a very interesting passage of Scripture. Take your Bible. Let's go to Genesis chapter 28. We're going to Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to study the story of Jacob. Study the story of what? Of who? Jacob. That's exactly right. Genesis chapter 28. And if you're there, go ahead and say Amen. Now, Jacob was a very interesting patriarch in the scriptures. He was a man who was not perfect, amen? He was an individual just like us. And he decided one day that he was going to usurp his brother and take the birthright by deception. He decides there's a better way to get God's blessing without having to follow God's way. Unfortunately, it ends up with his brother wanting to kill him, um, a disunity in the tribe, and all sorts of things taking place. Jacob made some really, really bad decisions. In fact, because of his initial deception that took place, throughout the rest of his life, he was deceived over and over and over again by Laban, by his own children, you name it. His whole life had been a life of deception, and it took place because of his initial deception. And so Jacob was a man who, after he had caused the problems in the tribe, in, in the camp, he was sent away. He was sent away to go find a wife. Isaac thought to himself, well, it'd be good to send Jacob away. Maybe that will cause some peace to take place in the camp. So he sends Jacob off, okay? And take, let's go to Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. Okay, Genesis chapter 28. Take a good look at verse 10. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. And so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because of the sun that had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it on his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now this is very interesting. Jacob is sent to go find a wife, okay? Now imagine what took place a few generations prior. Abraham had sent his servant, Eleazar, to go look for a wife. But did Eleazar go alone? What did Eleazar go with? When he went to go look for a wife for Isaac, what did he have with him? He had gifts. That's exactly right. He had all these camels. He had servants. He had gold. He had spices. I mean, he was ready to go buy a wife. And so he goes out, and he ends up finding this wife, and Laban lets, lets Rebekah go. But what's different about Jacob is, is that he has nothing. He has absolutely nothing. He has no dowry. People have told him he's nothing, and you can imagine he probably feels like nothing. People want to take his life. And so there he is. 
after he sent away in the desert to go look for a wife. And you can imagine as the sun is setting and there he is, he begins to lay down, probably a little scared, probably a little bit worried, worried for about marauders coming in, assassins wanting to take his life. And there he sets down by himself, probably just as cloth, and there he is, just trying to keep himself warm with a little fire. And he lays down to sleep. And he puts his head on this round rock. And there he's just staring up at the sky. And he begins to go to sleep. You can imagine how he feels forsaken by his family, forsaken by his friends, and forsaken by God. He felt utterly discouraged, hopeless. And as he stared up in the sky, wondering what's going to happen to his life, something remarkable takes place in the middle of the night. Let's keep going. Look at verse 12. Then he dreamed, and behold, a what? A ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there angels were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your what? Now that's very important, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your what? Descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall be spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in all your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Now this is remarkable. You know why it's so remarkable? Because Jacob thought to himself, I am cut off from my inheritance. I could die in this desert. And was he responsible for his sin, yes or no? Absolutely, he caused his sin to take place. And there he is, in the middle of the night, in the midst of discouragement, in hopelessness, in the midst of despair, he has a vision, he has a dream, and God speaks to him and says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Now let me ask you a question. Who was Jacob's father? Who was, who was Jacob's father? Come on, there should be more people answering that question. Isaac was Jacob's father. But what does God say? What does God say about Jacob? Who is his father? He said, Abraham, your father. You know why this is very important? Because Jacob himself had cut himself off from the family by his own sin. He actually cut off the inheritance. He cut himself off by the, from the camp through his iniquity. And so what God says to him, I, or Jacob, I have called you like I have called Abraham your father. You know what's very remarkable about that is that Abraham's father was not a godly man. But Abraham was an individual who was called out from a people who were in the midst of idolatry. And so what God does, he attaches Abraham to Jacob and saying, guess what? You're just like Jake. You're just like your grandpa Abraham who's like your father. He connects him to this father of faith. To this man who was called out. And there... God promises Jacob, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to even bring you back to this land. Now watch what Jacob says in response to that. Look at verse 16. 
Then Jacob awoke from the sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the what? Gate of heaven. Verse 18, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put on his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way where I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Jacob, not making a deal with God, but in response to God's goodness, says, you know what, God, I'm not only going to follow you, but I'm going to pay a tenth of everything you give me. Sometimes we look at tithe and offering as sort of this transaction we have with God. I give you, you give me, I give you, you give me. But guess what? It was always meant to be a response to God's goodness. Can you say amen to that? And I really appreciate what Ted McDowell said, that God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you, amen? And so when you're faithful in these little things, God promises very special blessings, but it should be based upon our response to what God has done, amen? And so Jacob decides this, that I'm going to follow God, that I'm going to be faithful to God, and I'm going to pay my tithe like I should be. This was something so remarkable. You know what's very interesting about this? And I always share this because I like sharing my journey, how I come to sermons and understand things. Because I really believe God leads in that. So up to this morning, I was planning to preach on this topic. And then I was going to head towards Peter's ladder. Does anybody know what Peter's ladder is? Raise your hand. It's based upon 2 Peter chapter 1 where... God actually describes through the Holy Spirit, speaking through Peter, the steps of sanctification. It was actually Ellen White's, one of her favorite subjects to preach on. And what she does, she actually connects Jacob ladder, Jacob's ladder to Peter's ladder. What Jacob saw on that night of discouragement was a way to heaven. He saw Jesus Christ, essentially. And what Peter describes is the components that make up the character of Christ. I was bent on preaching this sermon to you guys this morning. Until after I joined the prayer team around 5.30, I started feeling very impressed, almost driven to another topic. Because I believe that God knows better than me what needs to be spoken in this church. Amen? Everybody take your Bible. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 22, verses 1 to 3. These are all the laws here given to the Israelites. They had just come out of slavery. So you can imagine this people. They were uneducated. They were individuals who did not know any type of civilized behavior. God had to give them even very minute commands to teach them things like sanitation. He said that when you go to the bathroom, bury it. He would say things like, if your neighbor's cow runs away, go bring it back. Now why would he say that? Because the Israel, Israelites were so far gone from their humanity and just simple, intelligent, common sense things that God had to restore the nobility of Israel by giving them commands and statutes and ordinances. And so what you find in the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, you find God trying to restore Israel to a nation. Can you say amen to that? 
But what's remarkable is this, that within all the little laws and all the things that God spoke, he gave a warning. Now you came into this church service thinking to yourself, I just really want to be encouraged. I don't want to be warned today, right? Don't you love it in Adventist churches? You can go to Adventist churches and always be warned about something, right? Well, I promise you this. Not only will you be warned, but you will be tremendously blessed. Okay, let's find out a specific law that God had written. Go to Leviticus chapter 22. Watch what the Bible says. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, and then separate themselves from the holy things, excuse me, speak to Aaron and his sons that they separate themselves from the holy things of the children of Israel, that they do not profane my holy name by what they dedicate to me, I am the Lord. Look at verse 3. Say to them, whoever of all your descendants throughout your generations, whoever goes near the holy things which the children of Israel dedicate to the Lord, while he has uncleanness upon him, that person shall be, what is the next two words? Cut off from my presence I am the Lord now what you find in this passage and you find throughout the five books of Moses you find that phrase cut off appearing over and over and over again this isn't some type of social rectifying that takes place when you commit a sin if you steal from somebody you repay back to them the Bible teaches in the first five books of Moses an eye for an eye but there were certain sins in Israel that when they were committed, there was nothing you could do about it. You were guilty. In fact, that word, that, that phrase, cut off, appears over 12 times, I believe almost 14 times actually, throughout the first five books of Moses. And what it describes is a divine penalty that takes place when people transgress the law. It's something where God himself begins to hold them accountable for what they have done. And so God is giving very express commands to the, to the Levites, to the priests, and he says, you need to follow my way. You need to do the things that are right. You don't need to be unclean. When you come before my presence, make sure you're not doing those things the rest of the Israel camp, the Israelites are doing. And if you transgress my law, he says, you will be cut off. Very strong warning. But it's not so much the warning we're going to hone in on. It's what was the consequence. God told the children of Israel, if you don't show up on the day of atonement to the tent, you will be cut off. Over and over again, you find throughout the first five books of Moses, God pronounces a divine penalty. Not simply like, well, you're just going to be out of the camp, or you're just going to have to repay them, or you're just going to have to give up this or that. No, the words that are used are very strong. Cut off. You are cut off. These are very strong words. God was trying to warn the Israelites about something. This was no mere social uh, paying back or some type of jail time. No, cutting off was a divine penalty where God himself would take it upon himself to actually bring judgment upon the individual. It was a warning. The word, the, the Hebrew word is karat. Actually, Roy Gaines in his, test, in his 
New Testament or NIV commentary actually talks a theologian from Andrews. He talks about the word cut off and he says that this word is still trying to be understood by many scholars. We think we have an idea of what it actually means. In fact, when you read the Andrews Study Bible, Leviticus chapter 13 talks about this too. They're trying to understand what that phrase actually means, cut off. They think they have an idea. But some things they have come to a conclusion about, and it is this. Number one, that phrase cut off is not something that a human can atone for. It is not something they can pay back. It is a divine penalty. In addition to that, there was a consequence. Now pay attention to this. That your lineage would be affected by the sin. Do you know what I mean by that? Your lineage? Your family. By your transgression, your family could potentially be cut off from the favor of God. Now, if you're starting to feel the heaviness and the pressure right now and still wondering to yourself, why did I come to series today? Folks, I promise you, you need to hang on. I promise you, you will be blessed. But pay attention to this. This was a divine penalty where God himself would actually bring about a certain penalty or judgment to the individuals who violated the law. It was not something that these people could just pay back. It was not some action they could do. When that phrase cut off was applied, it was something where God was saying to them, I am being very serious with you right now. And so he says it over and over again. Now, why is this remarkable? Because there is something that is said in the book of Daniel. Take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Right now, Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, starting with verse 26. Who knows what Daniel chapter 9 is about? Well, all you need to do is look on the screen. Yeah, the 70-week prophecy. Good one. Good job. Daniel chapter 9. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. All right. Thank you so much. And what you find in Daniel chapter 9 is the 70-week prophecy. By the way, all our doctrines that we teach, they're designed to do one thing, to uphold the beauty of the cross of Calvary. Can you say amen to that? So I come across a lot of Seventh-day Adventists who say, don't, don't preach doctrine. Here's something I'd like to say to those individuals. You need to hear that doctrine in the light of Calvary. You will absolutely love that teaching. Amen? Now let's see what happens during the 70-week prophecy. A prophecy, by the way, when I share during my evangelistic series, I share actually three curses that come from Jewish rabbis around, uh, around the Dark Ages, actually. There were three curses that came from Jewish rabbis, and what they say is this. Anybody who attempts to figure out this prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9 let him be accursed, let his bones rot, let his family be cursed. They actually pronounce a curse upon anybody who attempts to figure out Daniel chapter 9. But what's very wonderful is that we're going to do that right now. <laughs> Daniel chapter 9. Let's start with verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and your holy city. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. The first thing to understand about the first 
verse of the 70-week prophecy, it's describing what the objectives are during the 70-week prophecy. In other words, these things are going to be accomplished during the 70-week prophecy. Now, what takes place in the next verse is simply the starting date. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem unto Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublesome times. It gives us a starting date for the 70-week prophecy. Okay, now you may think to yourself, this sounds like basic arithmetic. Keep going. And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be, what is that next phrase? Cut off. Now we heard that word before. Well, let's keep going. But not for himself and for the people of the prince who is to come. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall be flood till the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he will confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will bring an end to sacrifice and offerings, and on the wing of the abomination shall be one who makes desolate. Now what's so remarkable about this prophecy, it's not simply describing when Jesus would come, it's actually describing what Jesus will do. It's describing something so remarkable that in the midst of this week, in the midst of the week that the Messiah shows up, there would actually be a time when he would be cut off. Wait a second. We heard that phrase before and it was pronounced upon anybody who violated certain laws of God. Laws that could not be atoned for. They would be cut off. Yet yeah, you're reading right here in the messianic prophecy that something would take place with the Messiah and he himself would be cut off. A divine penalty would be placed upon the Messiah? That's exactly right. And what the Bible is trying to do, it's trying to bring us to something. It's trying to help us understand something about the mission and role of what Jesus would do. Now, everybody, take your Bible, go to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's start with verse 7. Isaiah 53, starting with verse 7. Now, watch what the scriptures teach right here. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was, what's that next word? Phrase, cut off. For he was what? Cut off. From where? From the land of the living. Look, the Bible doesn't simply just say, teach, well, he just died. It actually uses that same phrase that was used in the Old Testament to describe a divine penalty, a judgment that would come from God himself upon the wicked. But the Bible says something very interesting. It teaches that the Messiah himself would face the same divine penalty. But then it says, not for himself, but for who? Us. Now we're going to bring it in a little bit closer now. Do you know why assurance of salvation is important to us? Do you know why assurance of justification is so important to us? Do you know why it's important to have confidence that you are in a saving relationship with Jesus, even as you are? You know why it's very important to say, I do love Jesus and he loves me. You know why that's very important to actually have an assurance that God loves you? Because of this reason. 
when Jesus was on the cross of Calvary, as he was there on that cross, and he was facing that divine penalty, that's your sin, that's my sin, the Bible says he became sin for us. And the Bible teaches something so remarkable that this divine penalty was placed upon Christ. And Ellen White actually elaborates, and look what she says. It's so remarkable. When Jesus was on the cross, faith and hope trembled as, he, as in he expiring agonies. I said that wrong, spelled that wrong. In his expiring agonies of Christ because God removed the what? Assurance he had hitherto given his beloved son of his approbation and acceptance. Now, how many people were blown away by that? Raise your hand. Okay, now most of you thought to yourself, wow, I read that before. Now, I want you to pay attention to what it's saying one more time. Ready for this? Faith in hope trembled as he was expiring, excuse me, in the expiring agonies of Christ because God removed the what? Assurance he had hitherto given his beloved son of his approbation and acceptance. Denied even bright hope and confidence in the triumph which will be his in the future, he cries with a loud voice, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. You know why that's very important? Because on the cross, Jesus was a lost man. Jesus had no assurance of salvation. Do you understand why assurance is so important to us as Christians? Because Jesus had none. Do you know why it's so important to have confidence about what God is doing and his grace? Because on the cross, Jesus had none. Now, we may struggle in our walk and we may see things like, sometimes I believe, sometimes I feel like Jesus is there, sometimes I feel like he isn't there. Folks, I want you to understand something. When Jesus was dying on that cross and when he was facing that divine penalty of being cut off, he had no assurance of salvation. In other words, he himself did not know that he was going to be resurrected. And so easy it is for us to doubt God, don't we? To doubt that God really loves us. That he really cares for us. And sometimes when those feelings of assurance aren't there and confidence in God's goodness, all we simply do is need to look at the cross. And when we see him who had no assurance upon the cross, when we see Jesus who had no confidence except previous evidence of God's goodness, him who was on that cross, who was dying the death of the wicked, and many times we think to ourselves, yeah, the wicked, when they face judgment, that's off in the future, they're really going to get it. Folks, I want you to understand, Jesus got it. He took it upon himself. Do you have assurance in your walk with God? Do you have assurance that God's righteousness cover your sins? Do you have that assurance that when you walk out of there, you don't have to say, I'm saved, but you can sure as well say, by grace I am saved. Do you have that assurance? Do you have that assurance that God loves you and he welcomes you into his presence? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is everything to us, ladies and gentlemen. We need to understand this to never before. Because when we meet people on the street and we tell them Jesus loves them, do we even have that assurance? Otherwise, what are we telling them? The happiest Christians are those who know they're in a saving walk relationship with Jesus. You know that? The happiest Christians are those 
who know that God loves them and he welcomes them always into his presence. They have assurance of the goodness of God. Those are the happiest Christians on earth. Folks, this is everything to us. You want to know why? Because he had nothing on that cross. He was cut off. Could not even see the hope of the resurrection while he was dying there. And Jesus died as a lost man. Exactly what the wicked will face at the end of time is what Jesus faced when he was on that cross. Which tells you something so remarkable about God, too. That even the punishment that God mets upon the wicked at the end of time, he's already taken upon himself. God will never do anything that he himself has not gone through. Even in destroying the wicked, the Bible says his strange act, he has placed it upon himself. He will never do anything. And by the way, the very last thing the wicked are going to see is the cross of Calvary. You know what they're going to see as they're dying in their sins and dying in that judgment? They're going to see God in heaven who's, who went through what they're going through at that very moment. So you might have come into this church service this morning thinking to yourself, I'm not sure God really cares for me. That's exactly how Jacob felt that night. You may have come to this church service thinking to yourself, I am nothing and I feel like nothing. That's how Jacob felt that night. But when he woke up in the middle of the night, in the middle of that dream, he saw a way that had been made to heaven. The purpose of a ladder was to, to help you get to a higher step. And when he looked at heaven, before he went to sleep, he saw a place so far away from him. But when he awoke, he saw Christ. And that a way had been made for him to enter into heaven. He saw Jesus. The unsaved have the hope of being saved because the saved became unsaved for us. Can you say amen to that? You know, Adam and Eve, they partook of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a living tree, but when they ate it, they became dead. But when we look at the cross of Calvary where knowledge of good and evil have collided, and we look at that cross, it's a dead cross. But when we partake of it, we become alive. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Folks, this is everything to us. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians, all our teachings are the platform for exalting the cross of Calvary. And when we take that into our hearts each and every single day, folks, we will be the happiest people on this earth. Amen? You want to know why the cross of Calvary is going to be the science of the redeemed for all of eternity? Because infinite love was manifested there. Amen? Look what Ellen White says right here. His dying love manifested in Calvary is the sinner's assurance of what? Acceptance, peace, and love. Teach these things in the simplest form that the sin-darkened souls may see light shining from the cross of Calvary. You might have come into this room today like Jacob, hopeless, despairing, and thinking to yourself that there is no more purpose for you and that your lineage may be cut off, that your whole family has been affected by you. That's how Jacob felt. But when he looked at that cross, when he looked at that ladder, you know what he saw? He saw hope again. And folks, I want to plead with you today because you may be somebody who's come today in church service looking for some hope. And I want to let you guys know there is hope found in the cross of Calvary. Amen? 
You may be somebody today who is struggling, even doubting the goodness of God. You've come to the right place this morning. All you need to do is look at the cross of Calvary. Amen? You might be somebody who wants to experience the love of God like never before, to behold Him in His beauty. All you need to do is look at the cross of Calvary. Folks, today is the day that Jesus is calling you to look deeper and ever so much deeper into where love was manifested 2,000 years ago. Amen, church family? Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we think we understand the cross. We think we know what it means for the Savior to die, Lord, but we have no idea. Even in our sins, we have never fully experienced what it's like not to feel acceptance because there's always a glimmer of hope. That's why we're even here today, Lord. But we know that on that cross, Jesus lost everything. Yet God, he came back. He came back out of the, that, that, the grave. He came back. And the Bible says in Isaiah 53, he will see his seed, Lord, and he shall be satisfied. Father, I pray that you bless each person and that may, they may walk out with assurance in their hearts to know that the blood of the Lamb does cover their sins. Lord, we pray that each person that walks out may know that there is a ladder and all they need to do is place their feet on that first step, which is faith, as it says in 2 Peter. Lord, that's all we have. It's all we need right now. Bless each person, God, as they're going out. May they know that Jesus loves them more than anything in this world. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.